Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, it's Isaac here. Hope you're all well. It's great to have you here with me this week as we talk about the Sabbath. The fourth of the Ten Commandments says this, quote, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's Exodus 19, 8 through 11. You know, out of all the Ten Commandments, this one uses the most words, at least translated in English, to explain it compared to something like, you shall not murder. So it begs the question, why are most Christians obeying, you shall not murder, but completely ignoring the Sabbath or somehow justifying not doing the Sabbath? Now, if I'm honest, I I personally haven't been disciplined in obeying this commandment. And interestingly, our guest, AJ Swoboda, has just written a book on this subject, which we'll get into just a moment. But also, if you listened back a few years ago now, you would have heard Andy Crouch talking about using technology wisely. And if you listen and you remember, when I asked him what the one thing we need to remember now in this life, it was the Sabbath. That's what he said. So there seems to be this resurgence in regards to the importance of this day of rest, and even just the importance of rest itself. Our culture boasts itself in being so efficient with its time, right? Everything you buy almost is catered to getting things done in a quicker and easier way. You know, we are running ourselves out in many ways. Uh, we're, We're pushing ourselves, we're pushing our machines, we're pushing our animals, and we're pushing our environment in a way that never was supposed to happen. You know, we so easily disrespect creation, including our own bodies and our own souls, so that we can have what we want in a specific moment. I'm happy to have AJ with us this week as we dig deeper into this topic. He even shares with us how he personally obeys the Sabbath with his family, and it's good to hear practical ways in which, you know, at least at the beginning, you can imitate. So here's my conversation with pastor and author AJ Swoboda. Today is pastor, professor, husband, and father, and author, uh, AJ Swoboda from Portland, Oregon. We've actually had AJ on the show before, way back uh, in episode 16, which is crazy. Uh, so it's really good to have you back uh, with us again, AJ. Isaac, it's a joy to, to join you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, for those, I mean, if, if someone's been faithfully listening since episode 16, I mean, they deserve uh, a prize. That's awesome. But uh, for those who don't know you, AJ, or didn't hear that first conversation, uh, who are you? Maybe what, what are a few things uh, you could say about yourself that you think others should really, <laughs> really know? And I, yeah. I, I think you should mention your chickens if you still have those or not. Yeah, I mean, I can't really do an intro without any biography, biographical information about the story of my life includes our our chickens. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we live uh, here in uh, kind of urban Portland and uh, pastor a church called Theophilus. And my wife and my son, Elliot, live kind of in the this this urban core of Portland, pretty close to where they film Portlandia, at least that oh, kind nice. of area and <laughs> the neighborhood. And 
yeah, we, we got some chickens in the backyard and get to, I get to pester this wonderful community. I do some writing too and um, written a number of books and I teach as well at a couple different seminaries. I, I run a doctor of ministry program at Fuller Seminary on the life of the Holy Spirit and get to do some fun stuff. But, um, but basically it all comes back to the chickens. Yeah, it really does, hey? Um, and did you grow up in a, a Christian like home or did you come to faith later on in life or mm. how did that work? Yeah, no, no, I, I uh, <clears throat> was not raised in a Christian home. In fact, I was, I was raised in a really kind of classic, progressive, you know, Pacific Northwest household. I had two parents in the medical community. My dad's a doctor, mom's a nurse, middle upper class, privileged kid, raised in a family that really didn't identify religiously at all. And I had an encounter with Jesus when I was 16 years old that, that really turned, turned everything around. Wow, that, that's awesome. Um, AJ, you've just written uh, a book called Subversive Sabbath. Um, now, to help us kind of understand what this book is all about, I- I'm wondering if you, instead of just asking you to summarize what the book's about, can you first just explain the problem that you're you're addressing or that you see in this world that that made you have have to, in a sense, write a book that helps provide a solution mm. that you're giving? Mm. No, that's a great question. Well, I, th- I think the, the the real driving force behind this book, the the, the problem that it's seeking to address, uh, was a problem that I observed a couple years ago uh, when I decided to preach on this idea of biblical rest uh, for three weeks in our church. And I, I and I've preached on on things that have upset people in our church. I mean, I've preached on sexuality. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, con- I'm very conservative. You know, on that when I uh, preached on uh, you know marijuana because we live in Portland and I got to talk about that and stuff. So, I mean, I've, I've upset people and I, I decided I'm going to, I'm going to preach on Sabbath because our church is tired. And I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath and I've never had more people upset than when I preached on rest. And now it was so fascinating to have the, the rationale behind why that's the case is that obviously as Americans, North, North Americans, we worship our time and, and time is one of those things. It's really hard to submit to Jesus with. And I was in a, a council meeting with our are the people in our church that do the church finances. And I had this epiphany that as a pastor, if I was to break like nine of the commandments, right? If I was to steal money from the church, I'd probably lose my job. If I um, had committed adultery, I'd probably lose my job. If I committed murder, I'd definitely lose my job. And I had this epiphany, uh, this dark epiphany that scared me to death, that if, if I don't take a day of rest as a pastor, uh, I'll probably get a raise. It's literally become the one commandment that we have looked at and said, um, we don't need you anymore. And that problem, I think, is playing itself out in our entire culture. We have forgotten the idea of biblical rest. Wow, that's good. And, you know, it's interesting you say that because uh, recently I was talking with Andy Crouch on In Doubt. He just, he, he wrote a book called The Tech Wise Family. And he yeah. actually, one of the commitments he gives is talking about this idea of rest. And when I asked him, which out of these 10 commitments is the most important today? He did say the same thing. He said, it's the, this day of, of rest because we are, you know, wringing our culture out with all of the stuff that we're constantly doing uh, constantly. So that's that's, that's huge. And that epiphany, you know, if you would have actually broken this commandment, uh, you would get a raise. That's that's crazy. Um, now, mm. AJ, we read about the Sabbath, obviously, many times in Scripture. Probably the most popular place is what you've just kind of mentioned, this idea in, in the Ten Commandments where God says to keep the Sabbath day holy. Um, and, you know, he Moses even refers back to creation. He says, just in the same way, God made the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. So you should do the same thing. Now, 
I feel like most people, and I'm including myself in this, AJ, that we sort of have this vague or kind of just weird, ambiguous idea of what the Sabbath is, what it means. So I'm wondering if you just help us really flesh out what what does Moses mean here? What is the Bible getting at when we talk about this idea of keeping a Sabbath mm. day? What is that? What is that? Yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, just to address, there is this vague concern that a lot of Christians have that the Sabbath idea is basically akin to uh, those Old Testament commandments against eating bacon. And and <laughs> at the end of the day, I should assure your audience, I eat far too much bacon to concern anybody that I'm right. uh, bringing back some kind of Judaic legalism. But the truth is, this this commandment, this invitation to the Sabbath, even, you know, we we, we don't primarily do it because it's in the law. We do it because it's literally built into creation. I mean, when God created the world and instituted Sabbath as day seven, first of all, I want to point out that the Sabbath is the first image of the gospel in the Bible. Adam and Eve were created on day six. Day seven was the day of rest. And it should not escape our attention that for Adam and Eve, their first day of existence was a day of rest. God began their life with rest. Uh, There is no better uh, image of the gospel of Jesus. We first rest in Jesus and out of that get our work done. But, uh, you know, when when God says, it's interesting in Genesis 1 and 2, the only thing in Genesis 1 and 2 that is called holy is not humanity, it's not the sun, it's not the stars, it's not pomegranates, it's not mangoes. The only thing that's called holy is the day of rest. And that image of holy is uh, the word kadosh is this this word this image of something that's set apart for something sacred. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, God's God's plan was that humanity would know how to take a day a week and just stop and be in the presence of God. And that listen, what happens when we don't do that? Creation starts falling apart. If you remove anything else from creation that God has made creation will die. You take the water away, we'll die. You take the light away, we'll die. You take, you name it, you take it away, we die. You take the Sabbath away, we'll die. Wow. So what is that? Okay, you say say that, like, so we need to have a day of just rest. But I mean, I don't even think our culture, at least, you know, speaking of some of the, my maybe peers, Christian peers, what is rest? Does rest mean hopping in a van and going out downtown and having a fun day? Is rest mean like just staying in home, not watching anything and just sitting? Like, mm. <laughs> I don't think mm. we're just so unfamiliar with this idea of of rest. Yeah. Yeah, well, luckily, um, luckily we have a Bible. And it, it turns <laughs> out the, the, the Bible is actually really helpful in that regard. Um, you know, we when my family keeps a Sabbath, we do a Sabbath one day a week. Uh, you know, we don't we don't sweep the yeast out from the kitchen. We don't do the sort of uh, a lot of the, the the ritualistic. I should say not ritualistic, but the more uh, sort of purity laws that were included in the Old Testament. Those were free from. Um, but the principle of the Sabbath still remains, and I think Jesus actually answered the question quite brilliantly when he said, "When an ox falls into the ground, is it better to give life or to take life? Is it better to help the ox out or is it better?" to let the ox die. And I think the principle lies in that, in that, in that section. And that is that what is life-giving should be what the Sabbath is all about. Whatever is life-giving is what the Sabbath is all about. Now that does not mean as many of your millennial 
listeners may be listening may think that does not mean that it's a day to binge watch game of thrones right and the reason i say that is we've got to take into account not just the invitation to rest but all the other biblical stuff for example whatever is good and right and pure think about these things it's not the day to to baptize our individualistic narcissism in some commandment in the bible it's a day to do the rest of the things that god has invited us to do as well and to do those faithfully so i'll tell you what i love to do on the sabbath sure i love to watch a movie with my family on the Sabbath. And I love to read a book and we eat pancakes and we go on long walks and we go hiking. And I'll tell you, it is all life-giving. That's awesome. That's so good. Um, now, I, I think some of what you just said will kind of flow into this next question, but you say that personal Sabbath keeping is a spiritual discipline and it's also a form of social justice. So when you're talking about the ox falling, you know, life-giving, so obviously life-giving is social justice in a sense, but I'm wondering if you can kind of flesh that out, that Sabbath keeping is a spiritual discipline and a form of social mm. justice. Well, unfortunately, and this is a, a reflection of, of our cultural milieu, really, you know, when, when we see these these horrific actions taking place, for example, the shooting in Florida, or you see these, these horrible things taking place, it, it, you notice this interesting tension, right, that progressives hate that conservatives are praying, and conservatives look at progressives and think they're compulsively being activistic. And I think in the biblical text, we do not find uh, any legitimate separation between prayer and activism. That is, that to actually pray is a form of activism. Now, prayer has never been given to us as an escape from this world. God never, uh, that's why Jesus said, pray that your father, our father aren't in heaven, how that king, kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The prayers that, the, I, I think that the Sabbath provides for us God's provision for a form of activism that says stop and trust in God. Wow. Yeah. Now that that goes counter everything the progressive culture I live in says about activism because activism is do 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 fix fix fix. But Sabbath actually says before you compulsively go and think that you can create the the world in your image why don't you stop and be in the presence of God and allow him to shape you to be the kind of person who can shape the world? I heard this famous, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, but he, he's a, a, a famous uh, Christian activist who said, for every hour of protest that you give, make sure you give an hour to prayer. And I think that there's a powerful invitation in the Sabbath to stopping and simply allowing God to shape us. That's so good. Uh, AJ, obviously you're familiar, uh, at least a little bit, I would, I would think, you know, with the sort of the Christian culture, at least in Portland, when you look around maybe to fellow pastors, uh, Christian professors at the seminaries and so on and so forth, do you, do you see a good chunk really trying to live out this, you know, Sabbath day each week? Oh yeah. Whether we're doing it or not is one question. Whether the hunger is there is a different a different question. And what I'm seeing is a, a level of hunger for people to deal with the Sabbath and engage in the Sabbath that I've never seen before. Interestingly enough, often the people in the Christian sphere who are most critical of the Sabbath are often the theologians and the academics. Now, I, I, 
for a variety of reasons, I'm an academic, so I, I mean, I, I understand that world. Um, but interestingly enough, it is those who often have the greatest critique for the Sabbath that are the ones who get a sabbatical every seven years. And I, uh, what I think is hypocritical is for an academic to ever get a sabbatical and not desire that everybody else gets a break too. And the, tr the truth is, when we think about the Sabbath, um, the Sabbath has to be enacted by people in power for it to work for everybody. Because if if people in authority don't do it, then nobody else is going to get it. It it, it requires it's like Hobby Lobby and Chick Fil A, which I have all sorts of feelings about these organizations. But they close every stinking Sunday for people to go home and be with their families. And I think whether we're doing it or not, we all need to understand that the Sabbath is not just about us; it is about everyone else too. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Um, in your book, uh, which I haven't read yet, but when I'm looking around online about it, it looks like you make a connection between Sabbath keeping and there's this connection with local communities as well. So I'm wondering if you can explain what that connection is. Uh, what, what are you kind of getting at there when you mention this idea of connecting with local communities? Yeah, well, in the in the Jewish tradition, still to this day, when it, when there's a synagogue in the city, there's this uh, implicit kind of kind of commitment that often Orthodox Jews will make, and that is that uh, you will uh, attempt to live within walking distance of the synagogue. And the reason is is that on the Sabbath to drive to synagogue is is work. So to 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 go to synagogue, you've got to walk. Now to walk. You need you want to walk with other people, so you're invited. They're called eruv lines, which are that you're invited to to live close to the synagogue, so you can walk there with your your friends as you go to synagogue. And I just what a powerful image of how a day of rest invites us to be in the neighborhood. It invites us to walk around. It invites us to not be traveling all over the place and being everywhere else. It it it, it roots us in a certain place and says, "Be be here. Be 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 in your home. Be present." Um, I mean, in a fragmented world where we're all doing way more than we should be doing, uh, we need a day to come home. I often I, I love to. The, on the Sabbath, I know that a big part of the Sabbath for me is always uh, that it is God's invitation to me to get down on my knees and get into my son's collection of Legos for a couple <laughs> hours because my yeah. six-year-old loves Legos. And you know what the Sabbath does? It brings me back down to earth. Yeah, that's so good. Um, you know, th this may be situational, this next question, and uh, but I'm wondering if you could speak into it. So, so much of uh, the way that we are just kept um, in, in this routine of do, do, do is our smartphones and being online. So we have our emails, we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we have all this stuff to keep us going. Would you, like, what is your experience and what do you suggest Christians do when they desire to hold a Sabbath day? Should they be continually in on that? <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the technology has basically become, in the words of one theologian that I, I read, I mean, it's graphic language, but our smartphones are lubrication for our our economy of slavery. I mean, it's just it's just making our slavery to activity easier. And I, I, I advocate in my book, and this certainly is not something that everybody can do, and, and there's certainly nothing in Scripture that commands it, but... Um, is one day a week, the Sabbath should be a day that we learn how to turn the phone off. And it, it is, Isaac, almost, it is really hard to do that. And the truth, the truth is, the, the people who invented this little smartphone, which it turns out you can turn these things off 
Yeah. <laughs> um, you have to hold a button down for five seconds. But you know, right before it, it's interesting that, that that they've made it so that when you turn your smartphone off, they flash a little apple with a bite taken out of it, like you're like you're back in the Garden of Eden or something, and you've been eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil all week long, right? Um, it, I mean, it's it's totally intentional on some level. The truth is, our phones, um, we treat our phones like they fill our souls. And we are more faithful to our phones than we are to keeping up with the Holy Spirit most of the time. And I, I think we need a day to turn these suckers off and literally just plop ourselves into the presence of Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you have to say to me? Not my notifications, not my Twitter updates, not my Facebook feed. What Jesus do you have to say to me? It is a radical act of disconnecting from the world and reconnecting to the vine of Jesus. That's so good, AJ. Yeah. Two more questions before we can wrap this up. Um, You say that God may actually do more when we do less which is sort of this interesting uh, statement. So what what are you getting at here when you when you talk about this? Yeah, well, actually, actually this is the character of God. I mean, uh, what's interesting is, you know, when you look at um, the story of creation, when God created Adam and Eve, uh, day seven was a day of rest, and it was the culmination of God's creation. Um, you know, it's, most people say humanity is the climax of creation, day six, failing to recognize that there was one more day in creation, the day of Sabbath. And I, I agree with Heschel, Abram Heschel, who says that actually the Sabbath is the climax of God's creation. And the Sabbath is the day where all things are in harmony with God and with one another. But what does God do at the end of creation? God takes a day of rest. Um, <clears throat> what does Jesus do at the end of the Passion Week on Saturday? Well, he rests in a grave. Uh, Jesus, when he recreates the world, lies in a a borrowed grave for a whole day. And um, it just seems to me that every time God wants to get something done, he takes a day off. Um, (laughs) And the truth is, um, we think that our work is more effective than God's rest. And God's rest is always more effective than man's work. And that in our rest, God can actually accomplish way more than we ever could in our work. That does not mean that we don't work hard. In fact, when you read Exodus 20, the invitation to rest is simultaneously an invitation to work. You work six days a week and you rest one day a week. And you can't call it a biblical Sabbath unless you're simultaneously giving yourself to work. You need the work as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's both. But the truth is that God's character, every time God wants to get something done, he takes a day off. He finished. It's because because God because man's rest work is never as effective as God's work, and we as Christians need to begin to learn that God really can work in our rest. That's so good. Um, in, in all the pages you've written in this book, and not just the pages you've written, but your sermon series, that all of your thinking on this topic, what is the one thing about Sabbath keeping that you? that at this point right now that you think is most important, that what should we know is, you know, as we're listening right now, what's the one thing we should know? Um, that I'm a hypocrite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, so I'm talking pretty confidently about the Sabbath here, uh, but I, I want to close by saying I'm talking confidently, but I'm, this is one of the hardest things about the life of God for me to do. And the truth is, even in writing this book, Subversive Sabbath, I almost burned out. Catch, catch the irony of that. <laughs> the, the irony of burning out talking about the Sabbath. We, um, 
we if you if we are North American human beings, this is going to be one of the hardest parts of the life of God for us. We can do prayer and Bible study and go to church and be masters at that and still not know how to stop and be still and know that God is God. But it is so critical because a world that is exhausted, it is so tired right now. The church should be the one place people know where they can go and find rest in Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, AJ. If you're listening and you're interested in AJ's new book, Subversive Sabbath, which today our conversation was just just a little scraping from what you can find in this book. Uh, I'm going to put a link on our episode page that you can find, but you can also hop on Amazon and, and, and search it or just search Subversive Sabbath on Google. Uh, you can also check out uh, ajswoboda.com uh, where you can find out more about AJ, some articles, other books that he's written. Even, you know, you can jump onto In Doubt and scroll down our archive and find episode 16 where AJ talks about creation care as well. But anyways, I want to thank you again so much, AJ. Oh, Isaac, and thank you for your work and your service to God's people with this. That was pastor and author A.J. Swoboda. Once again, you can find his book, Subversive Sabbath, on our episode page or Amazon or by heading to ajswoboda.com. That's A.J., then S-W-O-B-O-D-A dot com. Now, before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to share with you seven reminders for churchgoers. So that's any of you who, you know, would call yourself a Christian who goes to church. Now, this is taken from a recent article that we republished uh, for In Doubt. And I believe it's really important to think about uh, in our culture today. So when you think about it, when you look around, culture has not only affected the biological family when we consider, you know, husbands, wives, children, all that kind of stuff, but the family of God as well, the church seeped into many church bodies, local churches, are cultural tendencies, beliefs, and behaviors. Churches can fail to live as the biblical family that they ought to, that Jesus told us to live. So in light of this battle that culture is, you know, raging against us, the church, these are just seven reminders from the Gospel of Matthew in regards to how we should think about and live with our church family. So number one, reconciliation should be the first thing on our minds. So when a brother or sister is angry at us, uh, we're not to get angry back and then tell our other friends about the drama and make it a big deal. We have to train ourselves to think of reconciliation first. And like Matthew 18 talks about, go and talk to them and tell them they're wrong. So that's number one. Number two, don't judge unfairly. We ought to be challenging our brothers and sisters, but it's different if we're just spotting every little flaw and speaking out against them in a spirit of pride and, and arrogance as well. Learn to love so much that you will carefully, respectfully, and lovingly speak to a brother or sister who is in sin to restore them. Number three is really simple. Your father is God. It's almost impossible to fathom this reality. So your other brothers and sisters, their father is also God. Number four, your family includes every genuine Christian who ever lived. And how do we know a genuine Christian? Anyone who does the will of the Father. Number five, forgiveness is unconditional. Don't put a number on how many times you'll forgive a brother or sister in Christ. If they confess their sin and ask for forgiveness, forgive them from the heart. Jesus forgave you, so always remember that. Number six, marriage within the family of God is a good thing. Uh, it's not wrong to marry a brother or sister in Christ, as long as they're not obviously biologically related. God uses marriage and family within the greater family of God to bring new life, to train children, to show love, and to sanctify. And number seven, Jesus calls genuine Christians his brothers and sisters. 
True Christians are co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. So when you're tempted to act arrogantly or negatively towards someone in the church, remember who their brother is. I hope you enjoyed that and, and take that to heart, especially in our culture today. Well, that wraps up today's episode. We hope you join us next week as we host another conversation on life and faith. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 